0: I'm Merle Riedel, and you're listening to an April 25th, 2007 podcast from the Kansas State Historical Society. In this bi-weekly podcast, museum staff reveal the story behind the story about artifacts featured on the Cool Things section of our website, kshs.org. What were Lawrence athletes doing with a steel ball and a giant bat? Why were the rules of baseball originally so lame? And what the heck is a five-hole? Curator Blair Tarr explains all when he discusses a baseball trophy and bat from 1867. This episode is the second in a 12-part series that focuses on objects from the museum's current exhibit, Game Faces, Kansans and Sports. And later, in another round of Six Degrees of William Allen White, we'll reveal the connection between the famous Emporia editor and the Titanic. Did these two ships cross in the night? But first, give the ball a ride. Good morning, Blair. Good morning. Um, today we're going to talk about a, uh, a metal baseball and a uh, giant pine bat, and uh these kind of served as trophies. Um, do you know what game they were awarded for?
1: Well, only the trophies really awarded for one particular game. Uh, it's for winning a championship at the State Fair in 1867 in Lawrence. And it was presented, there was a little tournament that went on. The idea was to draw people in that weren't necessarily agricultural uh, or agriculture people, people they just wanted to get attendance up and Bring anybody possibly in. They thought a baseball game would do it, baseball mm-hmm. tournament. Uh, so this was a trophy that was awarded to the winner in 1867. The Lawrence team called the Kaw Valleys, which was apparently a very good local team. Oh,
0: that's a clever name. Just
1: he, just ate up the league, so to speak.
0: <sighs> um, so that's the ball, and the, but the bat. The bat is like uh, 55 inches long. I mean, it's it's huge um who who was swinging something like this?
1: well it's it is a bit of an exaggerated bat, uh, but it was presented to one of the members of the Caw Valley team, uh, Dudley Haskell.
0: That sounds familiar.
1: Dudley Haskell was at the time a merchant in Lawrence. Uh, he went on to be a congressman, and he's the one responsible for getting the Indian school that's in Lawrence. Uh, located in lawrence actually and so that's why it bears his name and still does today the haskell indian nations university
0: was haskell was haskell an indian
1: haskell was not an indian it's just simply that he was able to get the school for lawrence that and he died shortly after he was able to do this in congress so i think it was more a memorial to him as much as anything Uh, but haskell apparently had a talent for hitting home runs (laughs) Which had to be something in eighteen sixty seven because the ball was really just a round piece of mush. <laughs> he stood about six foot three and probably probably was long more than he was six foot three.
0: Deserving well, of a fifty five inch bat.
1: Yeah, well deserving of a fifty-five inch bat. <laughs> uh but apparently he was able to get around and give the ball a ride, so to speak you got to remember, even in the ni- early 1900s for Major League Baseball, if you hit eight home runs a year, you could be the home run champion. Uh-huh. So he apparently was good at doing this, and it was eventually this bat was presented to him, and as a token of appreciation, he actually did use it in the game where it was presented, and apparently hit a home run with it. So he had no trouble swinging that bat. He hit
0: a home run with that.
1: With yeah, that bat, yeah. Oh my
0: gosh, that's ridiculous.
1: And you can tell it's almost like a 2x4. There's really not a lot of shape to it. It sort of tapers a little bit. But
0: <laughs> um, so the game, uh, or the tournament actually, ended with a, a championship game, and that's what this ball was awarded after that championship game, correct? That's right, yes. And the final score to that game was was 75-35. to
1: 35. Yeah, several touchdown passes were obviously <laughs> thrown <thrilling> that day.
0: <laughs> Why such a ridiculous score?
1: Well, it's just the way the the game is really different then, and really loaded in the batter's batter's favor you gotta remember that one thing the pitch had to be thrown underhanded, so it's probably a soft lobs or really, like softball today mm-hmm. uh there was no such thing as a walk. you know when you get four bases on or four balls called, you get a free pass to first base. You didn't have that. You could keep on pitching forever to the same batter if it worked out that way. Now, the batter could wait for a pitch he could hit. He didn't without about any balls or strikes being called. He could just keep on waiting until he got the pitch that he wanted. Couldn't that make a game really long? I would think so. Yeah. Well, apparently they managed to do it. And the other thing was the batter could also call for the kind of pitch that he wanted. He could ask for a high pitch or a low pitch or something in between, and then the pitcher had to. The pitcher had to accommodate. Yes, wow. So you can see this really does favor the batter a lot of ways, and mm-hmm. probably explains why those scores started adding up after a while. Particularly,
0: uh, so this game was played in eighteen sixty seven, right? Right. Which is just is not long after the Civil War. I didn't I didn't think baseball really became the national pastime until the nineteen twenties. Were they really playing baseball all over the U.S. this early?
1: Uh, yeah, they were, uh, and they actually started east back east uh, earlier than that. Uh, The first organized set of rules for baseball is set in 1845. Wow. And there are newspaper reports of what appears to be baseball games as early as around 1809, I think it is. So baseball is an odd game. It sort of evolves from a different thing and different sports and isn't really invented. It just sort of comes about. During the Civil War, baseball really became popular. Uh, Army troops usually need something to kill time while they're in camp waiting for whatever is going to happen to happen. And baseball was one of those things that was a good way to pass the time. After the war, you know this became the great soldier state. We had a lot of veterans that came out to Kansas and a lot of them brought their baseball talents with them. Mm-hmm. and they organized town teams and baseball took off here as it did everywhere else, you know, right after the Civil War.
0: So if it hadn't been if there hadn't been a civil war, do you think baseball would be as popular as it was as it is today?
1: Uh, Boy, that's a good question. I don't know. Uh, I bet it probably would have. It may have been a little slower, Mm -hmm. and (laughs) as popular as it is today, that's sort of a judgment call, Or as popular as it it was at one time. (laughs) Uh, Some other sports may have taken over for that, uh, for today, but...
0: Well, this tournament uh, for this particular ball and bat, um, that was part of the Kansas State Fair in Lawrence. But uh, that's not right, because the State fairs in Hutchinson, not Lawrence.
1: Today it is. got to remember, in 1867, there was no Hutchinson. Oh, that's true. Good point. <laughs> uh, Hutch didn't come about till seventy-two, and actually the State Fair that we know today doesn't come about till 1913. Mm. And actually, I think it moved around a bit. I think Topeka hosted the state fair for a while and a few other communities. Even after the Hutch Hutch was determined to be the home of the state fair, though, uh, there were still sort of statewide fairs. Uh, Here in Topeka, there was what was called the Kansas Free Fair. Yeah, it's... It's possible to have a State Fair at Lawrence in 1867. All right. It's not the same as Hutch. But, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> they didn't I, have the windmill or anything like that. <laughs> the old mill, rather.
0: <laughs> and you talked about that it was former athletes that were playing in this tournament. So it wasn't really pro athletes, was it? I mean, it was who was who were the teams in the tournament? Was it former Civil War vets? Was it KU? KU students or local
1: farmers you probably had a mix of a lot of things, actually. you probably did have local farmers. Dudley Haskell was a shoe merchant, as I said, and actually he was uh, a veteran too, so he probably played the game a little bit. Uh, you have a little bit of it, a little bit of everything, but at this early point, you don't have any probed players at least that we know of. They may have been a few ringers that got paid, but, <laughs>
0: but they were pretty much all just amateurs the so.
1: amateurs for the most part.
0: Okay. My final question. Um, <clears throat> uh, I'm intrigued by the giant, by the giant bat. Um, what other sports do you think could benefit from enlarged equipment? For example, I'm thinking of, uh, you know, racquetball might be funner with a giant-sized racket. Um, giant pins used in bowling, you know, that would make it a little easier to do. Can you think of any other sports that could benefit from enlarged equipment?
1: Gee, sports that could benefit from enlarged equipment. What a line. Uh, (laughs) I'm not sure how I should take that. (laughs) Uh, Well, let's see. You know, there's a lot of sports that have sticks that you could probably use bigger sticks. Right. Hockey's one, for instance, my old standby. I mean, it would be great to be able to shoot the puck with a little bit more authority through the goalie's five hole. Right. I don't know what a five hole means. (laughs) Essentially, it means in hockey it's a term that's used for a puck that's put between the goalie's legs.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Okay, so. That's not terribly
1: suggestive, is it?
0: (laughs) I don't know. I was worried when I asked what a five hole was. But
1: But yeah, and of course, uh, bigger balls would probably help in any sport.
0: All right, Blair. All right. Thanks for that input. Now it's time for another round of Six Degrees of William Allen White. At first, we're going to uh, resolve the challenge from last week, which, which was to connect William Allen White to the Titanic in six degrees. And Rebecca Martin, Assistant Director of the Museum, I believe you have a solution.
2: Yes, Merle. I think I did it in less than six degrees. Impressive. First, let's start with William Allen White. As you all know by now, all of our loyal listeners know that William Allen White was a very famous journalist, and he was also a political reformer from Kansas. He was writing articles on political reform for Collier's Weekly, which was a well-known magazine, an investigative journalist magazine at the time. Collier's was published in New York by Bob Collier, Bob and William Allen White. It's weird.
0: He yeah. wrote for the same paper. Yeah,
2: isn't it weird that the, that name thing worked out? <laughs> a good place actually, for him. Actually, Bob Collier's father founded Collier's Weekly. So uh, Bob and William Allen White became really good friends because William Allen White was, you know, politically minded, I mean, same kind of reform-minded uh, person as as Bob Collier was. Well, Bob Collier was married to Sarah Van Allen, who was a cousin of John Jacob Astor. And that's the uh. clue, the rich man, on the certain rich man on the Titanic. John Jacob Astor was one of the wealthiest men in the United States at the time. The Waldorf Astoria Hotel was one of his properties and he went down with the Titanic. There you go. Mm. Willie Mellon White to the Titanic in mm, five and a half degrees.
0: That's pretty impressive. Well done. All (laughs) right. So now we will uh, issue the challenge for the next episode. And, uh, just want to throw this out. We're going to be offering some a prize for uh, whoever comes up with a solution to this challenge.
2: Wow, Merle, that is exciting. I know,
0: I know. <laughs> and keep in mind, it doesn't have to be the correct solution, because there's multiple correct solutions. Well, what
2: has to be correct, it just doesn't have to be our correct right. solution. Right,
0: right. Uh, okay, so the prize is we will send you two free passes to the wow. museum. Yeah, Priceless passes. No kidding. Yeah. And for those who can't actually come to the museum, like if you live in live on the coast in Maine, um, these free passes will give you access to our website.
2: Wow. <laughs>
0: <laughs> or, or what else could they do with their pass? Rebecca, you had an idea? Or was he was It was Nikayla, I
2: think. Nicaela. Try to use them at your own state museum.
0: <laughs> yeah. See if the see, see, see where that will get you. <laughs> Good luck. Okay, so Nikayla Zimmerman, assistant registrar. You have the challenge for the next episode.
2: That's right. In the next episode, we want someone to connect William Allen White to the video game The Legend of Zelda. Mm-hmm. For those of us who grew up in the 80s and 90s, we love The Legend of Zelda. Uh, your clue is Fitzgerald's Flapper. Both Sounds... spelt with an S. <laughs> yes, no <laughs> PHs.
0: Okay, so if you have the solution to that challenge, just send your solution to podcasts at kshs.org. That is podcasts with an S. That's a wrap on episode 27. Join us in two weeks when Nikayla Zimmerman and I travel to Lawrence, Kansas, to record On Location from the KU Relays, a nationally recognized track meet where 75 years ago, a young miler named Glenn Cunningham launched a phenomenal running career. Running took Cunningham all over the world, to include the infamous 1936 Olympics, where he sent home a letter from the Olympic Village. We'll examine that letter and the relays that started it all. This podcast is a production of the Kansas State Historical Society.